from the book of Romans, uh, chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. And if you have one of the church Bibles, it is on page 1006. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, morning, everybody. My name is uh, Tim. If I haven't met you before, I'd love to say uh, good day in the uh, overflow room after the service. But uh, let's bow our heads before we uh, jump into Romans 12. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, well, what do you think of when you hear the word librarian? Uh, I, I trained as one. I know it's hard to believe. I look so cool. How could I have been a librarian once? Uh, but I was. Uh, and I copped years of light-hearted ribbing about what do you actually go and study uh, when you study to be a librarian? Uh, I've had suggestions like advanced level shushing, <laughs> uh, introduction to wearing of mission brown colored cardigans, <laughs> and how to suck the joy out of the most wonderful books by the prohibitive application of library fines. What, what people imagine when they think of the librarian is just the simple task of collecting books and then sticking them on a shelf and occasionally lending them to people. Uh, but actually it's a complicated and I think an exciting and exhilarating task and that is to classify everything, everything that has ever been written in such a way that you can find it no matter which library you go to in the world. Uh, you can keep your internet where you put a search term in and you get the, uh, 10,000 links that none of them are actually helpful to you. What I love is the flawlessly curated library that gives me everything I need uh, wherever I want and wherever I check. Uh, of course, it doesn't matter how I feel about libraries. The reality is, for a lot of us, we hear library or librarian and we have one, or one of two responses. Either uh, that's the place that gave us a sense of fear and dread. I'm going to have to be silent. Uh, it's going to be enforced with the enthusiasm of a milita military dictatorship. Uh, and then I'm going to be forced to read a book that I hate. Uh, or you're in the other camp that thinks this is the place where I get to encounter uh, infinite worlds. Uh, thought in cold storage, as one person called it. The library or the librarian uh, is the person that connects us to a, a world that we can't even imagine, something far greater that we could hold within ourselves. A simple word, uh, but two very different responses for many people. And if we feel that about that word, I think we have a similar response when it comes to the word worship. 
What are the images or thoughts that enter your mind when you hear this word? I think for a lot of people, we do the same thing. The first thing we think of is, oh, worship is when the band plays and we're singing along to it. And then straight away we say, oh, 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 but I know it's not just that. I know it's something more as well. And so as we're preparing to finish up the year tonight and people are making plans to start their new year well, it's, I thought it would be helpful for us to take a closer look at what it means to worship God and how we might do this uh, more helpfully in 2024. And so we're going to start thinking about what worship is. It exists in our lives, really, whether we want to or not, we all worship something. Then we're going to think about why we worship God and then finally how we might worship the holy God that we follow. Uh, well, if you go back to the old faithful, the dictionary definition uh, here's what you'll get told about worship. Uh, that is, reverence offered a divine being or supernatural power. Uh, it's a good working definition, but there are two areas that where we might uh, push back on something like this uh, these days. Uh, firstly, there's a fair bit of wiggle room between the expression of reverence and adoration and the actual reverence or adoration that we have for a power. The difference, I guess, you might call it the difference between uh, the doing of worship and the actual meaning of worship. You know, there's lots of things that I do that I don't actually mean. Uh, there are those who would argue that one of the uh, worst things to happen to Christianity was in the 4th century AD when Emperor Constantine uh, became a Christian and then he made a decree that now Christianity would be uh, tolerated in the Roman world. Uh, it sounds like a, a great thing, but there was a problem, and that was that uh, before Constantine became a Christian, if you were a Christian yourself, there was a really big decision that you had to make because to become a believer and a follower of Jesus meant that you could lose a lot of social standing. It's quite possible that you'd be fired from any government job that you had, uh, and there was a real possibility that at different times in those first three centuries that you may even be killed for your faith in Jesus. And so to be a believer in Jesus was something that was almost always uh, sincere and deeply felt. But then when Constantine becomes a Christian and he encourages others that they can do so, all of a sudden there was a political advantage in being a Christian. Uh, it can be helpful to me for, to identify in this way. And so all of a sudden you have people who might do all of the performances of faith, but there's no actual relationship that they have. It's just helpful for them. And that actually shaped a lot of how Christianity sort of moved throughout the world. So when my uh, family, the Goldsmiths, moved to a town three hours north of here, Canamble, a, a little over 100 years ago, they were asked the question when they arrived, are you Protestant or are you Catholic? Because the assumption was everybody's a Christian. We all go to church and you have to pick your either one or the other. It was a performative Christianity. Worship is not a, a relationship, it's just a religious thing, and so I go to church because that's an expectation. But of course, when we open our Bibles, it makes it very clear that this is not God's view of worship. So when we look at places like Jeremiah uh, chapter 6, verse 20, uh, this, is what we, uh, this is what we see. This is the problem that we have. God makes it clear that a formal act of worship is not what we're about. What used to me is frankincense from Sheba or sweet cane from a distant land. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices do not please me. Uh, because worship is not a performance, it is a relationship. And things that come just as a, an act rather than an expression of our, of our deeper self is not actually a meaningful thing. 
But the second issue we might have with how we understand worship in the modern day is in the first century it might have always been focused toward a God in some kind of way. But in the 21st century there are layers of reverence and adoration that are actually pointed toward things or even ideas. One of my all-time favorite quotes, you've heard it before from me, comes from a guy called Charles Cooley. And he says, you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. That is, the reality of what defines us is often shaped by the things that we spend all of our time thinking about. Applied to worship, if we want to say we worship something or someone, that's great. But if you want to really get the physical sign of what you worship, look at the things that you spend all of your time thinking about. What is the thing that I love to come back to when I have a spare moment to let my my brain wheel? uh, wheel? Well, in the 21st century, I would suggest that the big thing that we worship is entertainment. Whether or not it's being able to take my phone with me. So even in the last uh, place where we used to be able to think and, and relax, even the bathroom, I can, I can log on and I can look through my social media or I can uh, log into a streaming platform and watch an episode of TV. Uh, we are people that can find every corner of our lives and we can find uh, ways to fill it with entertaining ourselves in one way or another. Uh, the other big area in our culture as well, I think, is sex. Uh, Not just the act, but the idea that we say now, uh, your sex and your sexuality is the number one characteristic that should define who you are and how you make your way through the world. It doesn't matter whether or not you're part of a, a family or a community. It doesn't matter that we're created by a God who defines us and gives us meaning. Uh, This is the thing that is supposed to actually uh, uh, consume us, Uh, so much so that in our workplaces and in shop fronts and things like that, uh, people will put up signs and they say, you need to show this sign as well, and if you don't take this performative act of worship, uh, then maybe uh, you are somebody that needs to be cancelled because you are not on our culture's view of what we need to worship. Whether it's our entertainment or sex or money, there's no shortage of things that become our idols, the things that fill our, our time and our attention, our energy and our thought space. But most difficult, I think, for many of us is that when it comes to our worship, it's not even an intentional thing done with real focus and meaning so much as a reflection of the fact that uh, when my computer tells me how much time I spent on Facebook this week, I realize, oh, that's telling me what I really worship. And so for many, we can find ourselves in the situation that Jesus speaks to in uh, Matthew 15 when he says, uh, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. When I'm honest with myself, I have to say that I'm not what I think I am, But what I think, I am. But thankfully, the good news of the gospel is that this is not the entire truth. It's not actually about what I think and that defines what I am, because it's not the strength or the consistency or the fervency of my worship that actually makes a saving faith. Instead, for Christians, we believe it is the object of our worship that defines us. Jesus, who died and rose again, So that though our thoughts and desires might waver, we know that God is absolutely unwavering in his love and his care for his people. Although we are inconsistent in our worship of God, he is absolutely consistent in his care for us. And so as Paul begins the 12th chapter of his letter to the Romans, uh, he's speaking to a people who are in a very similar situation to us. 
Uh, they're living in the a capital of the prevailing culture of the time, Rome. Uh, and it, Rome had a, a, this vast empire. And one of the ways that they held this vast empire together was they said, uh, we might come from different places, different backgrounds, but the one thing we do is that we all worship Caesar, uh, the emperor. He is like a god to us, and this is the one that we worship. And so we see how countercultural it is when Paul says to his listeners, his readers, in view of, God, of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. That before we could love God, he shows his love for us in his mercy when he sends his son to die for us on the cross. And so because God is merciful and unfailing in his love for us, we then respond in living our lives as a sacrifice to him. I'm not a particularly big fan of American basketball, but it's not hard to be impressed with a guy called LeBron James. On one side, it's actually difficult to like him because over the last 21 years, he has consistently taken a rubber ball and he's thrown it into a hoop. It sounds well, sounds easy. That sounds really you know, not nice to him. Uh, but do you know how much he's been paid for doing that? One billion dollars over 21 years. And you can think, well, that doesn't sound like a, a great reason to like him. Uh, but this is the awesome thing about LeBron James. The first big thing that he spent with his money, you might think, oh, maybe it was a Rolex watch or a big car or something like that. But LeBron took his mega bucks and he built a school. Uh, which focuses on at-risk kids from tough backgrounds and helps them to catch up on their education and maybe even excel further than they might have thought. Uh, on top of this, it's uh, estimated that he has put over a 1,000 students through college and they can't even count how many bicycles and laptops and backpacks full of school supplies that LeBron has uh, bought people from the poorer communities in Akron, Ohio. LeBron took his fame and he said, I know I'm, I'm a, a, a big character, uh, but I can use this to love and care for people who come from the same background as me. Can you imagine how you'd feel if you were one of those thousand young people who got to university that you could otherwise not afford? Or the tens of thousands of people who now have books to write in and pens uh, to use and a bike to get you to, to school? LeBron does it not because he wants them to say that he... Uh, that they worship him, but he wants them to then take that and say, if, if this guy who is so unreachable has been so good to me, then I want to respond by making the most of this opportunity that I have, that maybe I can be something better, maybe I can be something greater. I can uh, respond uh, in love and affection and commitment to this opportunity I have. And this is the heartbeat of what Paul is encouraging his readers in Romans. Since God, who is beyond our understanding, who is far greater than us, has been merciful to us, how else ought we to respond but then to love and to serve and to follow him? God doesn't just declare that he's good and then force us to follow him. He's shown his goodness in the great lengths that he's willing to go for his people, even to the point of death. And then this is a second reason for worshipping God as well. Firstly, his attitude toward us is a merciful one. But secondly, his will and his desire for us is a good thing. That he wants good for us, as 2B points out. God's will is good and pleasing and perfect if only we put our trust in him. 
Uh, one of the processes that I think every Christian goes through is uh, you become a Christian at first and we say, I know that Jesus died on the cross for me and that he rose again. And so therefore I need to be obedient to God's call in my life. Uh, it's a thing that I, I should do. And so when I was a teenager and I was interested in girls, I'd become a Christian and I said, I, I, I need to uh, wait until I am married before I have uh, relationships with a woman. And I did it because I was being obedient. But as we grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ, we come to see that God's will for our lives is not just a matter of obedience, but a matter of us actually flourishing in our lives. That God wants us to experience the world the best way we can. There are a whole bunch of other ways that the world says this is what it means to have a meaningful existence. But God says it is good and right for you to follow me and to follow the way that I call you to live in my world. And that this is actually the one true, eternally pleasing way that we can live in our world. What is worship? It's revering and adoring the God who made us. Living for him, not just because he calls us to, but because it is good for us to, that God wants us to experience a goodness in our lives. What a great thing to remember when we make our New Year's resolutions. I'm not forcing myself to do something that I don't enjoy, but as I set resolutions that are Christ-honoring, I'm actually finding ways that God can help me flourish in my world. Knowing that he's secured our eternal future, we have the opportunity to respond day by day by honoring the God that loves us. This we see in the middle of our passage. Why does Paul want them to worship in this way? He says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Paul was speaking into a world where the people understood what it was to make sacrifices again and again and again. I make mistakes, I do things wrong, and so maybe I I offer a sacrifice or a dove or or another animal, and that makes me right with God, and then I make a mistake again, and I'm caught in a trap. I can give that kind of sacrifice, but it never delivers enough. But what Paul was calling his readers to was a radically different approach. And that is because Christ has dealt with the problem of our sin, the breakdown in our relationship with God, once and for all, with his one perfect, sufficient sacrifice for our sins. And so instead, he calls us our sacrifice to be in our lives and our wants and our affections day by day. Not to offer a dove, but to offer ourselves. But we know that's hard, don't we? I still remember I was a young kid. And my family went to the RSPCA and we got our very first dog, uh, a border collie called Miffy. Uh, it was a day that I'd been looking forward to for months and I'd made all of the promises that I'm sure many of us have heard. Uh, this dog is going to be my absolute focus of love, adoration and affection. I'm going to train her to do all of the tricks. She's going to be at my hip every single day. This is going to be a beautiful relationship. This is going to be a lifetime relationship. And then you cut to four weeks later and it was all my mum could do to make me to feed the dog because I didn't like the smell of the dog food on my hands. It's one thing to make a bold and enthusiastic commitment about loving a new dog, but it's another thing to care for a pet self-sacrificially because we know that to own a dog every day is to make a new commitment, a new orientation. I have to get up and let them out so they can go to the bathroom. I need to reorient my life as I actually care for this thing that I'm responsible for. It needs to be walked. It needs to be cared for. And similarly, God calls us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. 
Now, the word translated as living sacrifice could also mean a a rational or a logical sacrifice. That it's a sacrifice of both mind and body and the heart that combines all these things together. It's not just a a physical doing, but an orientation of of ourselves toward God. That day by day in everything I do, I might find a way to worship and love him. Again, not that it means that if I'm a, a shoemaker, I have to put a little cross on every one of my shoes but that as I seek to love and honour God, I would, do, I would make my shoes well if that's, if that's my job. Paul unpacks what this looks like. How do we uh, do and how do we maintain this? Maintain this? He says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is, as we focus on worshipping and serving, serving God, his spirit is the thing that will shape us and make us more like Jesus day by day. Because just as the things that we dedicate our time to in our thought life actually shapes who we are, Paul tells his readers that if we want to live our lives in ways that honour God, we don't want to be shaped by our culture and our society, but we want to be shaped by God, his word and his spirit. A friend of mine called Susie really embodied this for me. Uh, Many years ago, when I first started leading on a a youth group, she was one of the other youth group leaders, uh, and as we were coming up to one Friday night, uh, another friend of mine came to me and they said, guess what, I want to invite you on Friday to a WWE wrestling event. Uh, Even better, she said, uh, she worked for Main Event, uh, the TV channel, she said, I can get you into a box seat where you may even get to meet uh, the owners of the WWE. And so I went to my friend Susie and I said, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it on Friday night. Is, is that okay? And she, with just maybe a little bit of passive aggressiveness, uh, said, well, you're the only one who can make this decision. So you have to decide what you think is more important. Uh, so I went to the WWE. <laughs> she was gracious with me. She continued to support and encourage me. And I continued to be a youth leader after that. But in uh, the months after that, I would see all of the little ways that she made sacrifices as she loved and cared for the young people who were under our care. It was an unflagging commitment. And I could see that for her, she was not conforming to the world that says, entertainment is important and you want to grab every opportunity. You don't want to miss out on something like this. But she had been transformed, understanding that as cool as WWE is, It paled into insignificance next to the honour and privilege of helping young people encounter the God that loves them and who offers them a new eternity when they put their trust in him. Now, just to be clear, what I'm not saying here is that we preach a a gospel of works and that our salvation is based on the fact that we never miss church on Sunday and we never ever miss youth group on a week. But at the same time, as we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, We see and we value things in different ways. Susie made the right decisions because she understood that some things were just of one night's importance and you'd forget days later, and other things were of eternal importance and would shape the lives of young people who would go on to love and serve the Lord. Paul says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed by this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the net effect of this is that you may discern what is good and pleasing and the perfect will of God. 
Uh, when we love and serve and honour God, he helps us to actually see our world and to make better decisions in our world as we try and make our way through it. Uh, so what does this look like uh, practically for us in 2024? Uh, I want to give you a couple of suggestions, but uh, really uh, the application of a sermon like this is for all of us to spend a little bit of time considering uh, is there a better time than New Year's Eve to ask, uh, what does it look like uh, day by day for me to lay down my life in a way that is self-sacrificial as I seek to love and serve the God who calls me not just into performative worship, but to be in a relationship with him? Well, here's a, a couple of suggestions. Uh, first, we have Bob. Uh, Bob goes to uh, a growth group. He's been part of it for a couple of years. Uh, it's a really great thing to be a part of because people care for him and they look after him. And when he was crook, they made meals for him. Uh, but he also has a busy job. And so he probably only makes it once a month. And so as Bob considers this, he asks, asks the question, if I'm seeking to worship and honour God, is growth group or Bible study actually something that I should make a priority in my year? Uh, is it enough to go when it's convenient? Or if I want to love and serve and honour God and I want to support the body of Christ, maybe I need to make that something that I go every week, not because it just grows me, uh, but because I might be the one through whom uh, God is working to build up somebody else as well. Or maybe there's Jenny. Uh, she works at a burger joint, uh, but really her passion is architecture and she's halfway through her degree. Now, when she goes to work, she's not excited about it at all, and so often she just feels like she's phoning it in. She's doing the job, but she's not engaged. But Jenny asks herself, uh, if I want to honour God in this, uh, could I actually say, I want to make every burger as close to perfection as I can? I know it's not important and people don't particularly care, uh, but actually that's the way that I can honour God when I take something that I'm not passionate about it, but I work for it as if I'm working for God. And when she thinks about this, she realises something else, uh, that other people can see the way that she goes about her work and that they might be more encouraged by this and they might want to understand the reason why she does this. That she can honour God and she can create more opportunities to talk about God uh, when she takes things that she doesn't love, but she does them as if she's doing them for the Lord. Uh, last but not least, we have uh, uh, Bob, Betty, Brett, Brad and Ben. Try to say that five times quickly. So uh, Bob always loves catching up with Be uh, Betty on a Sunday. Uh, they've been going to church together for 15 years, and so it's great when they get to hang out together. But Bob knows that Brett's new at church. Uh, they go out to morning tea. He sees Brett sitting over the side, and so he decides, uh, I can just call Betty during the week. We've been friends for ages. Or maybe I can even have lunch with her later. Uh, maybe the way that I can love God and love my neighbour is to go and chat to Brett and be thoughtful on my Sunday mornings after church. Who can I chat to? How can I be like Jesus to somebody as I support and encourage them? Uh, Brad and Ben realise that's a reality for them as well. Uh, when they chat on Sunday morning, there's so many things to chat about in Orange. It's always going to start with the weather, but there's sport and 50 other things. But Brad says, well... I was encouraged by that sermon. Maybe I actually, if I'm going to not be conforming to the society but being transformed by God's word, maybe I need to ask Ben, how did you find the sermon? And maybe I can share that thing that I was encouraged by. It's a small thing, but now I'm actually redeeming this time and actually encouraging my brother in Christ. This is an opportunity for us to think more about God's word. 
whether it's at church or at work, uh, the way that we interact with our family, the priority I make up, I make when I wake up in the morning, do I grab my phone or do I grab my Bible? Uh, we all have an opportunity to lay our lives down uh, at the f- foot of the cross every single day. And friends, what is it that comes to your mind when you think of worship? Uh, is it a grand act? Uh, is it a song on Sunday? Or like uh, the wonderful world of libraries, is it an infinite world that is being offered to you if only you are keen uh, to ask God to be at work in you, uh, to open up his word, and to seek the work of his spirit in our lives? Well, let's pray about that now. Let's bow our heads. Uh, Lord, we do thank you that uh, before we could even think of worshipping you, uh, you are the one who loved us with an everlasting love as you sent your son to die for us on the cross to rise again to new life and to ascend into heaven so that he is at your right hand right now interceding on our behalf. Uh, We do pray, Lord, that you would be at work in our hearts so that we might worship you rightly, that we might see the world we live in clearly, and that as we do so, we might proclaim the goodness of following you boldly. And so we pray this for all of us in 2024. In Jesus' name, amen.